the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back Tuesday, August 29th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, and this is The Seth Liebson Show. 602-508-0960 is the number. I see David Dahl, my producer, to my west, and Mr. Bill also pointing from direction west and also a traveling interloper, it looks like. We're, what, working on some new software here. Hopefully it'll... All work out well. What, Mr. David? I was just about to say yes. We're running on completely new automation software. All right. Well, uh, let's hope it works out. (laughs) We'll find out. We're building the plane as we fly it. I was traveling through San Francisco on business about 15 years ago when I spilled coffee on my pants, so I had to run to Nordstrom to get a new pair. I still have that pair, by the way. And you know what uh, San Francisco itself won't have anymore? Nordstrom. Jamie Nordstrom put out this statement, quote, We've spent more than 35 years serving customers in downtown San Francisco, building relationships with them, investing in the local community. But as many of you know, the dynamics of the downtown San Francisco market have changed dramatically over the past several years, impacting customer foot traffic to our stores and our ability to operate successfully, close quote. You like that phrase, the dynamics of the downtown San Francisco market have tra- changed dramatically over the past several years? You know that sentence was wordsmithed upteen times in the public relations department. Memos were written. Time was taken. Anything but to point out the obvious and what we all know of what has become of downtown San Francisco. The drug dealing, the defecation, the debris as one ABC local affiliate described that dystopia. Dystopia. You know, it's a funny thing about dystopias. You know the word? It's the diametric opposite of utopia. It means a bad place. And there are all these left-wing dystopian novels and movies about the worst of the worst, you know, like The Handmaid's Tale, about a society that treats women like slaves, with subtle and not-so-subtle criticisms of it being a conservative political desiderata. You see it with environmental disasters that will be our world and our existence if conservatives have their way. Used to see a lot of it with regard to nuclear war. Again, if conservatives like Ronald Reagan ever had their way. And of course, none of those things have happened or likely will happen, at least not if conservatives are in power. After all, who, just who, is in the political business of erasing women and their import and special status these days? It's not us. Anyway, the funny thing about those dystopian novels and movies is they're all fiction, when what we are watching is living, extant, breathing dystopias in our very midst, like on the streets of San Francisco, where zombies wander, where city workers are paid thousands of dollars to clean up human excrement in the streets, where crime flourishes, and where treatment facilities like at the Salvation Army have empty beds because addicts would rather sleep outside the Salvation Army as they anesthetize themselves to death rather than get soup and soap inside the Salvation Army. The left seems much more invested in fiction than fact. 
fictional dystopias, all the live long day, the real ones, a blind eye and a cold shoulder. The journalist Marvin Olasky spent some time on the homeless streets of San Francisco recently and wrote this, quote, I visited San Francisco's drug-heavy tenderloin district. The scene is far more disturbing than addicts sleeping or sitting on the street. With police nearby but not intervening, users place pink fentanyl powder on squares of aluminum foil. They flick on lighters underneath and inhale fumes through tubes that look like short straws and crouch on the sidewalk, catatonic. A small dose can be fatal. Two government-funded harm reduction personnel come by pulling what looks like a radio flyer wagon, calling out in sing-song, harm reduction, need anything? They bear gifts, foil, straws, glass pipes, clean needles, granola bars, bottles of water, and naloxone to counteract the overdoses. You like that? Government workers handing out drug paraphernalia to make drug use easier. And the thing about that is the paraphernalia is more expensive than the drugs themselves. The government is acting and actually providing the most expensive and difficult part of drug addiction to drug addicts on the streets. Meanwhile, last year, San Francisco spent $100 million, $100 million cleaning the streets of human feces. We're talking not only cleanups, but replacements. Who knew lampposts could corrode from human urine? 300 lampposts had to be replaced in San Francisco due to human urine. Not fire, not wind, not car accidents, not being torn down. Urine corrosion. Human, environmental, and structural damage. Not forecasted man-made global warming. Warning. Kinetic man-made civic destruction. I give you San Francisco, not a fictional dystopia that is all the rage on the left with imaginations run riot of what conservatives want to do to women and the environment, but real-life dystopias brought to you by leftist governance that the left completely ignores. But Nordstrom can't ignore it because they have profits to account for and liability to their staff they have to keep safe and their customers, so they're leaving. I ask any of you to talk to a county attorney or district attorney. Ask them what percentage of violent felons are on drugs. You'll hear answers in the neighborhood of 80% and sometimes higher. Lest you think this is a one-store problem, Nordstrom isn't alone. You know of Dick's Sporting Goods recently blaming their profit problem on retail theft as well. And recently, the Wall Street Journal reported the following. Rising theft from organized crime is weighing on Macy's. The retailer is moving high-theft items away from store entrances and taking other measures that the loss of goods from theft, misplacement, or other mistakes will be at record levels for the second year in a row if they don't. Some other retailers, from Target to Home Depot, have cited increased theft as a problem for their businesses. Some retail executives have recently cited both shoplifting and organized crime rings as reasons for diminished profits. And at Nike... Theft in stores and throughout its distribution network have hurt its business as well. As John Hinderocker writes, all of these descriptions are somewhat sanitized. We have seen the videos. Gangs of 20 or more criminals will descend on a store, often blocking the street in front of the store with their vehicles and rampage through the establishment, stealing whatever relatively high-volume items they can get their hands on. Dick Sporting Goods CEO says, quote, We are doing everything we can to address the problem, close quote. 
Hinderocker writes, I highly doubt that's true. In most retail chains, employees are instructed not to interfere with shoplifters, but to simply let them walk out with their stolen goods. In some instances, employees who try to stop thieves have been fired. I think an important element of the chain's motivation is fear of being called racist. So if stores are unwilling to defend themselves and public officials in many blue cities are overly sympathetic toward lawbreakers, what we are seeing is inevitable. John asks the right question. Are these companies funding candidates for office like mayors, district attorneys, state legislators and governors who want to do something about this? Or are they sitting on their hands or are they funding more of the left that wants to really encourage this? You know the answer. Hint, it's the last one. Moreover, weirdly, it doesn't seem that any of the major retail chains is doing much to rally support behind law enforcement. Why not? If we can't mobilize a consensus behind the idea that theft is unacceptable and should be prosecuted, we don't stand a chance. The solution is obvious, John writes. We, na- we need to make crime illegal again. Let's make Orwell fiction again, and let's make crime illegal again. And maybe, just maybe, when liberals get serious about the very real and concrete dystopia in their midst and on their streets— rather than their ideological nightmare palaces of what would happen if conservatives had political power that they turn into novels and Netflix and HBO series, if they could deal in reality rather than fiction, if they could deal with the realities they have created and continue to nurture rather than the fictions they imagine for political purposes based on no reality whatsoever, maybe, maybe, maybe we'd have a safer and healthier society where stores could open and stay open and where people, human beings would not be enabled to live like and be treated like rabid jackals. I get that it's so much easier to live in fiction and projection, but you know what? It's getting pretty hard to live in our once gleaming cities and their reality, in fact, now too, because of those who prefer fiction. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. That's one we can take out, David. We'll remove that and make room for more. Uh, we uh, Part of the new software. going to hear a little musical direction from time to time over the next uh, couple days. Don't think too much of it. Um, okay, here's a headline you won't get at CNN, you won't get at the New York Times, and you won't get at the Washington Post, and I bet you won't get on ABC or NBC or CBS tonight. National Archives has, you know, the National Archives, the place that, uh, you know, ex-presidents are supposed to send their classified documents to. National Archives has 5,400, that's 5,400 Biden emails in which he uses fake names to dish government info to Hunter and others as vice president. Think that's a big story? I think it's a big story. 5,400 emails under different pseudonyms when he was vice president? Why would you need different pseudonyms when you're vice president? I could understand a personal email account, perhaps, but why a pseudonym? David, have you ever had to use a pseudonym in your communications with your son or your dad in this case? Yeah, yeah, let's reverse the question, uh, lest we cause a scandal here that doesn't exist. Has your dad ever had to use a pseudonym in personal emails to you, his son? I can't imagine. No. No, I can't imagine. Um, So at the Washington Post, no, what's much more important 
is a uh, special uh, takedown of a hero to the homeschooling movement, one Michael Ferris, someone I've gotten to know very well over the years. No, that's what's important to them. Over at the New York Times, it's all Trump, 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 as it is with CNN, and a little bit about uh, the Florida coast and the gathering storm there. So we'll give you the story. Again, when you hear this or read this or send it around, keep in mind when you talk to people who don't agree with you politically or don't understand the kind of corruption you talk about that surrounds and suffuses Joe Biden and his family, understand they don't know this story. They don't know any of the stories that you know, and they won't know this one. The National Archives and Records Administration has admitted that it is in possession of nearly 5,400 emails, electronic records, and documents that potentially show President Biden using a pseudonym during his vice presidency. Uh, The National Archives confirmed the existence of the trove in response to a June 2022 Freedom of Information Act request by the Southeastern Legal Foundation, a nonprofit constitutional legal group. Pause on that for a moment. Why is it always some outside independent organization that has to self-fund to get these stories out? You notice it's never a problem when they go after Republicans. When they go after the Republicans or conservatives, it's the government or it's the Washington Post or it's the New York Times. Whenever we discover something, it's because the government and the Washington Post and the New York Times won't do the same job. The request sought emails pertaining to the accounts of Robin Ware, Robert L. Peters, and J.R.B. Ware, pseudonyms the 80-year-old president was known to use in the White House during his time as President Barack Obama's vice president. Robin Ware. (laughs) Robert L. Peters and J.R.B. Ware. The Southeastern Legal Foundation on Monday filed suit against the National Archives for the release of the records with the group, which the group claims may show that Biden forwarded government information and discussed government business with his son, Hunter Biden, and others. Quote, all too often public officials abuse their power by using it for their personal or political benefit. When they do, many seek to hide it. The only way to preserve government integrity is for the National Archives to release Biden's nearly 5,400 emails to the Southern Legal Foundation and thus the public. The American public deserves to know what's in them, said the general counsel of the Southeastern Legal Foundation, Kimberly Herman. This group accused the National Archives of having dragged its feet since the FOIA request in June of 2022 and says that not a single email has been produced since the government agency acknowledged their existence just days after the request. We have performed a search of our collection for vice president records related to our your June 2022 request and have identified approximately 5,138 email messages, 25 electronic files, and 200 pages of potentially responsive records that must be processed in order to respond to your request, the director of the Archival Operations Division at National Archives wrote to the Southeastern Legal Foundation. Earlier this month, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer demanded that National Archives hand over any unredacted records in which Joe Biden used a pseudonym during his vice presidency as part of his probe into the role the former vice president played in Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings. Emails previously released by the archives and retrieved from Hunter's abandoned laptop reveal that Joe Biden used the email address Robert L. Peters at PCI.gov while he was Obama's second-in-command 
and that is a John Flynn seat Hunter on 10 emails containing the Elder Biden's daily schedule between May 18th and June 15th, 2016. Comer said in a statement on August 17th, Last week, Joe Biden has stated there was an absolute wall between his family's foreign business schemes and his duties as vice president. But evidence reveals that access was wide open for his family's influence peddling. The National Archives must provide these unredacted records to further our investigation into the family's corruption, into the Biden family's corruption. I guess when Joe Biden said he'd never had discussions with his son about his son's business. You can get away with that on a technicality if Robin Ware or Robert L. Peters or J.R.B. Ware was the one having those discussions. I suppose if you want what used to be known as plausible deniability, you make sure that any email communications while you're vice president to your son about those business dealings don't come from one Joe Biden or one Joseph Biden or one Joseph R. Biden, but they come from made-up pseudonyms like Robin Ware and Robert L. Peters and J.R.B. Ware. There's something beyond the scandal about all this. You know, whenever you find someone engaging in scandalous behavior or furtive behavior, as this would be the case, as, as would be the case here, just think of the mindset you have to be in. You're vice president of the United States, and you're knowingly using these—you're actively going off your regular email account to go tap in to a a pseudonymous email account. Just think about the mind that does that. Think about the mens rea that does that so that you can have these furtive conversations about things— you shouldn't be doing. Think about the guilty mind that must take place. Just think about that action. Let me log out of this and log into this, or let me leave this computer and use this one that has that account set up with a different name so that people down the line won't know what we're up to. Think about the kind of mind and the kind of character that engages in that. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Dombrowski, he is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, grandcanyonplanning.com. This is his website, great place to go to get in touch with him or to learn a little bit more about Grand Canyon Planning. John, welcome back to the show. How are you, sir? Fantastic. Good to hear your voice. Yours, too. We were talking yesterday about not quiet quitting, Mm-hmm. But how corporations, companies are quiet cutting. Um, I was struck today by seeing yet another company uh, quiet, uh, I suppose, quiet Quitting. cutting town, <laughs> you know, uh, quiet, quiet getting out of here. Nordstrom yeah. uh, and yeah. its flagship store that's been around for almost 40 years in San Francisco is now uh, having to leave. Uh, it's joined by other big retailers there, including uh, stores like Saks Fifth Avenue and uh, Old Navy. John, we do this when we think about the stories we had from Dick's Sporting Goods. Last week we were talking about they were blaming their lower profits on retail theft. Right. This connection, really, between corporations' bottom line and the conditions of their environs and theft, crime, it's a big issue. 
Yeah, and you know, th- this location, first of all, as you said, a flagship location for them, um, more than 30,000 square feet uh, for this store, and it's been open since 1988, and it closed just this past Sunday. Um, and when you look at the pictures that they show in this particular article, uh, what a beautiful store. First of all, you know, Nordstrom's is upscale, a uh, very, very nice uh, um, retail operation. And uh, what a, a sad, sad, uh, you know, story here when you think about it. Because this, again, serves all the people of, of the community too, right? And all of these stores that are closing um, are limiting now what those local people are going to be able to you know, where they're going to be able to shop. And it's all because, uh, really primarily because of the theft that has happened. And um, this is just one of many. And what's happening is these now, the the owners of the buildings are actually walking away from these. There was the, the Westfield, there was That's another right. one, Westfield's yeah, decision Westfield. came days mm-hmm. after the hotel, yeah. right? They, they announced that they had stopped making payments on a $725 million loan for its Hilton San Francisco Union Square property. This is amazing. Think about that. You think of uh, Union Square, which is probably one of uh, the most recognized sure. areas in probably San Francisco. Literally, Hilton Hotels walking away from their their property and saying, we're not making payments anymore. Bank, take it back. Yeah. I mean, wow, this is just a... Uh, uh, I don't think I've... I've ever seen this before because of these reasons. You know, if I look back at the uh, foreclosure activity in the country, uh, looking at a, a chart, you'll see back in 2007 and eight, nine. Of course, that was that financial crisis we were happening that we were having uh, a tremendous amount of property foreclosures. But in more recent times now, we're seeing um, foreclosures on these retail buildings and commercial buildings uh, starting to increase year over year. And it, it, it's going to be a little bit of an interesting, um, you know, time right now when we start to see this happening. Maybe this is going to be a way for some of these buildings to be converted into residences, which is in some cases what's happening. Even yeah, it'll be interesting here. whether yeah. they can be affordable or, or it's going to be interesting, to, too, to see what, you know, what these retailers are, are thinking they're going to recoup. Are they going to open up in other big cities or try to? That's a huge expense. And yeah. what does it do to a city when a huge employer like that picks yeah, up and leaves? You know, yeah, I, I don't know yeah. how many employees would be in a massive Nordstrom, but you know, several hundred a day, I would imagine. Hey, it hurts the city too because yeah. now you've got a property number one right. that they're not getting property taxes That's on, right. and then number two, all those sales tax is going to be gone too. So this is n- <laughs> it's just bad for the city and the state, but yet, of course, um, you know, until I guess they lose enough revenue. Uh, they're probably not going to be con- that concerned about it. Well, I want the corporation executives to start thinking about this and start, you know, perhaps realizing that their problems may not be with their business model. It might be with their political model. And yeah. they need to start thinking about, you know, how can we do things that help maintain the civility of the community in which we operate, whether it's funding yeah. the right kinds of district attorneys or police or you know, uh, civic organizations like Salvation Army or what have you, they really need to rethink these things. Uh, I don't think corporate CEOs can be so politically uh, unidirectional anymore. No, I think they, and and we're seeing this. Obviously, them leaving this location yeah. is is it's speaks volumes. I hope. It and uh, I would say that, of course, companies, these corporations, are publicly traded companies, and they have a duty yep. to their shareholders yep. uh, to do what's in the best interest of that that company and that stock. So, 
uh, they're going to start making some big decisions, or they're going to be out of a job yeah, themselves. Yeah, the shareholders have a The shareholders will come yeah, in and take yeah. over and vote vote in new uh, people to run those businesses. Thanks, John. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic, an investment advisor, Grant Canyon Plenty, Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC, and not affiliated. Thanks, Bam. Seth. Talk tomorrow. Nailed it. <laughs> yep. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Young David, what does your political pin say today? Well, you know, I've got something that maybe the audience can help us with. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We crowdsource I actually it. really don't know anything much about this one. I, f- I got it in a lot of pins that were from World War II. Okay. It's a, it's a man in a naval officer's uniform. And it says, Smiling Jack. This is, uh, I think, copyright 1945. Oh, really? Yeah. Did you look I'm it up it's somehow? From World War II. And, uh, well, I'm looking it up through the means of the audience. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Giving them a reason to call. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. Um, I wonder if there was a... a I see there is something Admiral called the Tragic Tale or... of Smiling Jack, maybe, uh, who was uh, declared missing in action in Okinawa. What what year was yours? What it says year? 45. Yeah, 1945. Right he was declared dead in 1945. It was just a, was just a pin in a oh. lot of uh, pins that I got that were World War II era, it might you know, have V for victory, stuff like that. It might have been, you know, to encourage support for the war effort, you know. Think about, you know fallen soldiers in vietnam people had um bracelets of pow's you know to keep their memories alive and to make sure that you know they weren't forgotten they were left behind by you know the military not the military but by the government uh but they weren't left behind in the hearts and minds of the american people can't i'm trying to remember the name of the scholar gosh i used to know this dauber was it dauber maybe cory Cory Dauber, does that sound right? Um, he had a book uh, and a thesis, I think he was at UNC, and he was talking about the fatigue, the, battle, the, the war fatigue, fight, fighting fatigue that takes place. He says it won't, it won't happen, it won't occur so long as the American people still believe in the cause and the mission. Um, you, and and maybe, maybe something like that. Is what uh, is what Smiling Jack? Or, does it say remember <laughs> Smiling Jack? No, I just I mean, well, that's that's what the pin says. Does it say remember? Jack. Um, I gotta take it off. It's yeah, you gotta take 45, it off. Uh, famous artists. Uh, I'm sure that's just a union bug. Yeah, I don't know. No, it just says Smiling Jack Smil- and a picture of a naval naval officer. Yeah, I, I bet that's the one. I bet it was a a, a battle loss. A man who was lost in battle. In uh, the Battle of Okinawa, and the reason I'm wearing this is because I had a very uh, naval-inspired attire. Yeah, I today. see that. Why you said, I, you said I looked like Jimmy Buffett earlier? Yeah, yeah you, you looked like Jimmy Buffett on the cover of the "Son of a Son of a Sailor" album. What inspired the naval uniform today? Or the oh, Navy I was going for uh, Jay and the Americans on the cover of one of their albums. Oh, were you? Double-breasted blazers and and red turtlenecks, I think. Do me a favor and look up the names of the band members of Jay and the Americans. I'll tell you an interesting story about it. Blatt, I think, was one of the guys. Look at their original names, the names they were born with. Um, They were all Jewish guys who changed their names, you know, Americanized them, so to speak, and and then named their band Jay and the Americans— because um, they believed in the melting pot. They believed in the idea of the melting pot, and they wanted to be seen as nothing more than just Americans. I've got Howard Kirschenbaum, yeah. Kenneth Rosenberg, yeah. Louis Yaguda, yeah. and Martin Joe Coopersmith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, uh, not unethnic names, shall we say. 
and they changed them ultimately to Americanize or you know deethnicize them, so to speak. Uh, about which a lot of people did in those days. You know, Jerry Lewis did it, and Jack. You know, a lot of a lot of actors, Jack Benny. A lot of people did that sort of Marion Wayne. Yeah, all of, well, I'm thinking more <laughs> in the Jewish in yeah, the, in the Jewish context. Um, Tony Curtis, people like that, that did a lot of that sort of thing uh, because they didn't want to be thought of uh, as anything other than just you know straight pure American uh, without any ethnic. Uh, or any bigotry either, for that matter. And you think about the word woke. The first time the word woke appeared in the New York Times was 1963, I think it was. We've talked about this before. It was, uh, it was an op-ed. It was an op-ed by a black writer who was making the point. He was in a subway car in New York when he saw an advertisement aimed directly at the black community, you know, and using, you know, a kind of a, a, if you will, a jive lingo to address the black community. And he he said, you know, this notion, we can call it woke, it's, it's isolating us away from the rest of Americans when what most black Americans want is the same education opportunities and the same job and employment opportunities and the same kinds of housing opportunities that every American wants. And I thought, you know, we've we've moved so very far from that ethic. That would have been the ethic of, you know, race neutrality uh, before it became famously tied to Martin Luther King. And um, that was the first time the word woke appeared in the New York Times. The op-ed's title was, uh, working off memory, If You're Woke, You Dig It. And he was, it was both, both an op-ed the guys the guy the guy's name was Kelly the, the author's name was uh, Kelly Arthur Kelly I think and he, his point was both a message to the black community but also to white Madison Avenue if you will quit segregating us we don't want different things we we all want to be thought of as the same kind of human being and of course as you know um after you know king was assassinated and the black power movement uh, grew and kind of took its place, if you will, uh, took the desegregationist place and became a, a, a black identity movement and a racial identity movement in the latter part of the 60s and throughout the 1970s. All that disappeared again. All that disappeared, I should say. And and that's really kind of the cause of, of so much of the racial division. But what those Jay and the Americans, that band, what they were doing was they were doing what this Kelly guy was writing about vis-a-vis the black community. We don't want to be thought of as different. We just want to be thought of as Americans. And that was, of course, the desegregationist ethic in the 1940s and the 1950s and the 1960s. And it's a shame we lost it. It found its probably its biggest apex in two monumental moments. One would have been the Brown versus Board of Education decision, and one would have been the 1963 speech Martin Luther King gave in the D.C. Mall that we commemorated this week, whose anniversary was this week. Those would have been the apex. After that, it fairly, that whole idea, that whole movement went downhill when people started retreating into their, into their racial and ethnic uh, identities, their race and their Ethnicity became more important than uh, the common cause of just being an American, which is why I liked one of those other pins you had.
couple of weeks ago or last week, Americanism. What was it? Something Americanism? That's right. It was for those people who supported Senator Joe McCarthy. Yeah, well, uh, ignore that part of it, but just the notion of Americanism. The notion of Americanism is something that it seems to me we should be able to bring and want to be bringing back, not the notion that we're just members of our various ethnic and racial tribes. It's tribalism that, in my view, left behind what helped make America such a welcoming place. And it's tribalism and the retreat to it and the re-retreat to the elevation of immutable things, things you can't do anything about, whether it's your race, whether it's your ethnicity, whether it's a country of origin, and the elevation of those over this new place, this new Jerusalem, if you will, that has led to so much of our strife. We'll be right back. Portions of the show are brought to you by Y-Refi. They've been getting a great response from this audience, and I thank you for supporting an investment that actually helps people. They thank you, too. Um, Yes, totally true with what we've been saying about Y-Refi. You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. You think about inflation, you think about the stock market's volatility, and if you're looking for an investment that's not tied to any of that, Y-Refi has it for you. It's an investment where you can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. There are absolutely no fees, and there's no penalty on principle if you ever need your money back at any time. Uh, You get your monthly statement with no surprises. Uh, This is a secure collateralized portfolio that's offered up by Y-Refi, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. Give them a call, 888-Y-REFI-24. That's 888-Y-REFI-24. If you're looking for an investment, a solid investment that helps people, contact my friends at Y-Refi and uh, make sure you let them know Seth sent you. Uh, Byron Donalds put out a great video in response to something Karen Jean-Pierre said yesterday. She said, this is a president who's had a historic administration in just two years. We'll review that in the next hour. And I want to talk also about uh, Joe Biden yesterday speaking at a public school in uh, Washington, D.C., taking credit uh, and rewriting the history of COVID school closings. Do you kind of get the feeling that we're about to torture our children again? James Freeman at the Wall Street Journal does. He has a piece, The Singular Cruelty of America Towards Children. Will lockdowners finally face a reckoning? Hardly. They're about to go through much of this again. You look at the mask and vaccine talk already and the mandates to go back to school, certainly at the college level and increasingly too many schools and some of the CDC guidelines that are now being promulgated for the various counties on how they're judging whether schools need to engage in mitigation. You know, we thought this was over, and it's not. And the first hint it wouldn't be was that lack of accountability. You know, Hallman and I were railing on this point that no one, no one, no one issued any apologies, no one issued any mea culpas whatsoever for what they ran this country through, particularly what they ran our schools and kids through, and. Um, no accountability? I can see why. I can see why. They wanted to hold in reserve their ability to do it again. And they're probably going to. Some already are. We'll talk all about that in the next hour and take your call. 602 508 0960. We'll be right back. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.